So I took quite a long break after having my little boy. I So we went through IVF to have my son. So we went from thinking we might not ever be parents, we might not ever be able to have a child to being successful and, and having my beautiful little boy and had the most incredible pregnancy, loved being pregnant, even had a really good birth, which I have to whisper because I know that's that's not that's not everyone's uh, no. experience. Very grateful. It was it was incredible. And then after I had my little boy, my mental health really deteriorated, and I really struggled with what I didn't know at the time, but later, really late, got diagnosed with postnatal depression and anxiety. That period in Danny's story was definitely a low point for her. And I'm sure it's a common low point for many women around the world. I'm so grateful to Danny for sharing her journey so authentically and openly, which is, of course, a really tough thing to do. Her intuition has played a massive role in her life, whether during her education or her work. So there's definitely a happy ending after that low point. And because she followed that intuition to get the help she needed, a series of events unfolded subsequently that brought her to the work that she's doing today for women all around the world. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Michael? Really well, thank you. And I'm delighted that this is your first podcast and you've chosen to be on Share Your Story. I have. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm really going to enjoy it because it's extra special for me. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Um, Danny. I will start with just one question, which I ask everybody, and that is, tell us about you. Where were you born? Where did you go to school? How was education for you? Uh, your first job? Was there a career? And then how did you get into what you're doing today? And then we can deep dive into all the amazing things that you're doing for people. So over to you. Okay, so start with where I was born. So I was born in Hastings on the south coast of England, so by the sea. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Um, I've got two brothers, two older brothers. Um, I'm the baby of the family. Um So, yeah, started off young childhood, always been down by the sea, always playing in the sea. Holidays would always be by the sea. Yeah, I was a proper water baby, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then started school. Um, I suppose not much to really, well, not much I remember, I suppose, from primary. (laughs) Um, I can't report much from that. And then got into secondary school. I went to boarding school. Um, there were a few issues with schools in my hometown. So my parents, very kindly, I suppose, for for me to go to a boarding school. Yeah. For me to be able to get in there and get the support to be able to get in there. Um, and yeah, that's I suppose the first start of my education that I that I remember is going right. to 
to that boarding school, but being away from home was pretty tough to start with. Yeah. You know, I didn't, my brother was older, but he'd already left by the time I got there. And I was just there on my own, I suppose. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I made friends. Everyone was in the same situation. We were all, you know, thrown together away from home. Yeah. Um, had lots of fun. Got in a bit of trouble, as you do at that age, just because you're having lots of fun with your friends and yeah. staying up late yeah. when you probably shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and then left there and went to university and just had this had this real desire to go somewhere completely different, completely different to what what I knew, what I'd grown up with. So probably much to my parents' upset at the time, I I went to Sheffield. Right. And applied at Sheffield to do sociology, got in. Um, and yeah, and went to, to university. So went straight from secondary school, doing A-levels, straight into university, didn't take that break. Um, and moved five, six hours away from from where I was to probably the most landlocked city that you could ever find. So gone from being a water <laughs> baby and always been by the sea to all of a sudden being nowhere near the sea. Um, but it was and exciting. Was that, a, was, was that a conscious decision to get away from the sea? No, definitely, no. No, def- definitely not. I loved it. I think it was more the conscious decision to go somewhere completely different. You Just know, I applied... What? To get out of your comfort zone. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Although I didn't know that at the time. But I suppose Mm. looking back at it now, I think, yeah, I was just, yeah, just try something new. Um, Which is funny because I always always had this story that I was quite shy and I was a bit nervous as a kid. But I obviously had something inside me that was just, Yeah. yeah, just give it a go, do something totally different. And I was the first one in my family to go to university, so right. I didn't, you know, I I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know really what I was applying for, what I was setting myself up for. But I just thought, just just do it and just go for it. And what about you mentioned sociology? Well, yeah. how did that come about? Wow, that's a bit of an interesting story, really. So when I was at secondary school, my passion, and I suppose probably from quite a young age, was food. Food was a massive part of my family growing up. We always ate dinner together. You know, we very much um, lived to eat rather than it just being a necessity. Food was a massive part of our life. Yeah, and and I did that in my A levels. So I did home economics in my A levels. Really passionate about it, and thought that's what I'm going to do when I go to university. And then I spoke to someone. I suppose who was helping us decide like what to do about university, and they said, "Oh no, you've got to pick a really academic course. You can't go down that route. You won't be able to find a job afterwards." Right. I mean, when I think about it now. It was awful advice that was given. Rubbish, um, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I listened to it and there was of no course. one else in my family who who could advise anything different. So I thought, oh, okay, well, what else do I like? I'm interested in people. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested in in history, I'm interested in where people come from. And then the idea of sociology just evolved and that's what stuck. Yeah. 
It, yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? How we get not pushed, but kind of guided in a direction, mm-hmm. and we're not really sure why we're mm-hmm. going in that direction. But I'm sure that as we progress, we're going to find out that it probably was a useful degree for you to have done. Yeah, y- yes and no. I think I think if, in all honesty, if I'd had my time again, I would have stuck with, with what I was passionate about. But right. I'm, I'm very much of that opinion. I can't change it. Everything no. set me on the path that has got me to where I am now. Yeah, But I did find it hard. I found it really hard. And I do wonder if that was because it was something that was really new to me. And it wasn't something that I had this really deep passion for. So I did find it hard when I got to university. Yes, you know, making friends and being in a new place, all of that. But it was the study that I found hard. The making new friends actually and being away from home wasn't that hard for me because I've been used to that at school. You know, I had lots of people around me who were really struggling with that. But I was like, this, this is this is the life I know. It was normal study side. Yeah, it was normal for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean. I, I completely concur. I've never been to university, but I remember in my education, there was, because I grew up in the Netherlands and in South America and had kind of education split across different countries, but I was never passionate about any anything apart from learning English. Mm. And which as a Dutchman, you have to, because not many speak people speak Dutch, so you've got to know how to speak English. And so I agree with you. You've got to be passionate about something mm. if you really want to make a go at it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So sociology in <laughs> yeah. Sheffield. Yeah. Um, what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> so I did my three years. I, I did my course. I did find it hard. I made some incredible friends. I worked alongside the whole time while I was there. So I did, I did bar work, you know, that cliche yeah. that we all do while, uh, while we're studying. Um, and in the last, the last few weeks that I was in Sheffield, I'd already planned to move back down south afterwards. I, I love Sheffield, but I wanted to move back down south. I wanted to be by the sea again. Yeah. So I had planned to move back down to Brighton because I didn't want to go sh- straight back to where, where I was uh, before I came to university. And I met a boy. <laughs> so, yeah, three weeks before leaving Sheffield, I met this boy and I had these plans and I thought, well, I'm, I'm still going to do it. I moved to Brighton and we kept that relationship going long distance. So, you know, I'd come back up to Sheffield, he'd come down to Brighton. And, we, we, you know, we'd wait and see how, how that goes. And I suppose yeah. that's the next, the next step of the, the story. But I don't want to jump ahead to that yet. <laughs> okay. No, no, you but, go whatever direction you want to go. It's, it's your story. <laughs> so, so I moved down to Brighton. I started working for a bank and just working in debt collection not at all my dream job, but it it paid the bills. I was renting, yeah. it paid the bills. 
it paid me enough money to be going out at the weekends and seeing my friends and you know it, it ticked all those boxes that I needed at the time so there wasn't anything around the sociology that I'd done there wasn't anything around my degree that I'd pulled into it it was purely let's get a job let's you know yeah. get get paid and I kept this relationship with uh, the boy at the time and we did that for 18 months and then I made the decision okay this could go one or two ways we could get together properly and see what happens or we could just leave it here and I thought why not see where it can go so I moved back to Sheffield right even though I loved being by the sea I loved being in Brighton I was having lots of fun but Mm -hmm. yeah my heart told me otherwise. So I followed that. I followed my intuition and I thought I'll never know if I don't. So yeah, so I moved back to Sheffield. And I suppose the extended story of that is that we've been together ever since. Oh, okay. (laughs) I had this horrible feeling that it wasn't going to work out. No, that's great. Happy ending there. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, well, then it was worth it. Your intuition was right. So well done. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I've some of the biggest decisions that I've made, I've made in that calm space of listening to my intuition. And it's never, never taken me to the wrong place. Oh, that's wow. That you're very lucky (laughs) in that respect, then. That's brilliant. So And do you get a chance to go back to the sea now and again? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've got friends and I've got family still down that way. And they always laugh because whenever I go down, the first thing I want to do is to go to the sea. Yeah. 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 I'm just drawn to it. And it is on my it's on my vision for the future. I would love to move back to be by the sea. I think it it does something to you. It's yeah, it's a real balancer. Yeah. I used to go on holiday a lot to florida uh by the sea mm-hmm. and yeah for many many years i don't anymore but i i remember meeting somebody who literally had a property on the beach and this guy was an elderly guy and he just he just turned around to me out of the blue i i, I didn't know who he was and we must have made a connection as I was walking past. And he, he just said, you know, people that live by the sea live longer. And I've never forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. Just a random guy. <laughs> he was in his shorts, you know, no T-shirt. And he's like brown and windswept. You know, he's got like these sun lines. And he was just like, he must have been a 100 probably. Who knows? <laughs> And he was just living his best life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have that. to admit, I do like the sea as well. There is there is something magical about that. I mean, as human beings, I think most of us do. I mean, after all, we originated from the sea, so that's why we have this connection with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. But okay. I'm so lucky where I live now. Sheffield is a beautiful place. And if yeah, if I wasn't going to live anywhere else, this is where I'd like to be. We're surrounded by a national uh, park, the Peak mm. District. So yeah. I drive 10 minutes away from where I live and I'm right out in the countryside with bouldering. Wonderful. And 
yeah, hiking and it's it's stunning. So I can't complain too much. I, there aren't many places in the United Kingdom where you're going to be disappointed in terms of, yeah. you know, the surroundings and countryside because you can always get there quite quickly. So amazing. Okay, so you're back in Sheffield. Yeah. Um, you, you gave up your bank job, debt collecting. Yeah. What happened? What happened next? <laughs> so I started another job working for a bank, a different bank. Uh, when I first moved back to Sheffield, again, wasn't my passion. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I'd applied for another job, and I was just waiting to start it. And then a job had come up at one of the universities here in Sheffield, at Sheffield Hallam. Yeah. And I thought, I'm just going to go for it. I've got this other job in the wings, so I don't, I don't need this, but it sounds really interesting. So I went for it. And I suppose probably in that headspace that, you know, you never know what will happen, I felt quite relaxed. Must have given a really good interview because they offered me the job. So I, I turned down the other jobs that was debt collecting again, which wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I took the job at Sheffield Hallam University. Doing what? So it was working in their registry department. So it was working in their central services. So right. it was doing like validation of courses and so making sure that they were quality assured, making sure that they were meeting the requirements for the students. So it wasn't student facing, but it was that it was part of the university. I felt hmm. like it was making that difference. And I suppose because I'd gone through university as well, I felt like I was there making a difference for students that were coming in to make sure that it was, it, you know, it was quality assured. They were yes. good courses. They yeah. were looking after the students. Yeah. Brilliant. And I think okay. that's when I first realised that that was something that really lit me up, was something that, that feeling like I was making a difference for other people. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you do that for? So I did that role at the university for three years and then got another job at the university in a student-facing job, and that I just absolutely loved. I mean, it was chaos. It was absolutely bonkers busy from the moment that I stepped through the door and started the job. It was my first management job. I was managing a team of seven and we were welcoming students. We were basically doing from welcome right through to graduation, supporting the right. students. So it was, yeah, it was full on, but it was amazing. I absolutely loved it. What What was the bit that I can see you kind of smiling and and thinking about it what what did you enjoy so much about it I think it was having that interaction with the students and that that was challenging sometimes because sometimes it was students coming to you with problems that they had or things had, had gone wrong and they yeah. needed your help or things had gone wrong in their personal life and they needed your help but it was that part of feeling like I was helping them it was that support side that I just absolutely loved. Right. And, and I suppose also getting the experience of being a manager, which I hadn't had before. And again, that had its highs and lows as well. You know, there were definitely challenges and I had some interesting characters in my team. But I just love that. I love that opportunity to, to help people 
to grow, I suppose. Yeah. But with their development. Did you get some training for the management role as well or not? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, not when I first got into it. And I suppose, I suppose, no, it's one of those things, isn't it? You become a manager, you need the management experience to become a manager. But I yes. guess they saw something in me that I had that potential to be able to do it. So I got support from my manager one-to-one, but it wasn't until I actually got into the job that they started with management training. Yeah. And I did feel quite supportive with that. I know people that have been in similar situations, they've just been thrown, you know, thrown into the job and you just have to make it up as you go along. I did get quite a lot of support. So, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for, for that experience, really. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> so that that whole theme around helping and supporting people starting to come through now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's so nice talking about it because I'm starting to piece it together as well. You forget, don't you? You, you don't often look back and reflect on your life. So this is lovely to do. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> it It's helpful sometimes to realise and connect all the dots and go, Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. That's when it first happened. Yeah. That's where my interest got, you know, developed. And you don't know at the time, of course, where it's going to take you. You have no idea. Yeah. Um, okay. It's fascinating. I'm really enjoying the journey so far. So what what happened next? Thank you. Yeah. So I so I did that job. I was absolutely loving it. But then an opportunity came up with an academic who was in the faculty where I was working and I'd worked quite closely with him and he was launching this new project that was going to be a, a new a new project that was going to be in the faculty that was going to be around student support but a lot more uh, autonomy, I suppose, about what that support would look like. So the idea was that we would work with, with other academics, we would work with students and find out what they needed, whether that would be career support, whether that would be well-being support, whether that would be personal development, and then we'd create that support package for them. Right. So it just it just sounded really exciting. And even though I was loving the job that I was doing, this was a, a big step up and that possibility of opportunity I suppose of anything is possible yeah you know I could do I could do anything to support those those students and support those course teams so again I I I went for the job I thought this will be really competitive and there was going to be four of us that that uh, were working in the team and I got one of the roles brilliant I couldn't believe it. I can still remember, you know, when you just have those really poignant rem- memories in your life. And yeah. I remember because I was in, I was in France visiting my parents because they'd moved over there after I moved to back um, after I finished university. And I was visiting my parents, and I got this phone call at eight o'clock in the morning, and I answered it. And I remember the woman saying, "Do you still want the job?" And I said, "100 percent." She said, "Well, it's yours." And it took all my energy not to scream down the phone because <laughs> I just, I felt so proud that I'd, I'd got this job that I felt yeah. was so out of my reach. Um, so, yeah, it was a really, really exciting moment. And it's, it's when there's an emotionally charged 
event that happens mm. in our lives, our memory hardwires it. Yeah. And it can be bad or good. <laughs> but if emotions involved, it's the neurons hardwire and keep that. Because even if it's bad, it's kept and it's kept in a place to protect you. And also, you know, for good things, that's also in some way to help you. <laughs> and it's it's just so ridiculous how the brain does it. You know, why yeah. is the brain hardwiring these emotionally charged events to support us? We've we've got all the, you know, the software running inside of our brain that is automatically doing these things. I find that really fascinating because you got, I could tell in your face, you're really animated when you recall that memory and you were literally sitting or standing on the phone in, you knew which room you were in, you know, the time of day, whether it was dark or light, you knew all of the circumstances because the brain is just hardwired. I find that just, yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I feel like I could relive it all over again. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a while ago that it happened, but it stayed with you all that time. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. so now you're doing this job. <laughs> so now I'm doing this job, still working at Sheffield Hallam University. and. And it was incredible in in lots of ways. I learned so much from it. I was pushed massively out of my comfort zone in terms of what I was doing. I'd come from a job where everything was so structured and, you know, we were were quite regimented in what we were doing. We were very regimented in, you know, the the timetable and the schedule. And for this new job, I was basically just given a blank piece of paper and a blank calendar and just told, just go off and do your job. Um, so yeah, it, it threw me out of my comfort zone very much. So, and I had people that wanted to work with me. I had people that didn't want to work with me and were very vocal about that. It was, yeah, it was, it had massive highs and massive lows, but it was a, it was a really exciting time. It was something that I'd never done before. And I was working directly with students and it did when it worked, it felt like anything was possible. Mm. And when it worked and, and I could do things, you know, do the projects I wanted to work on, the feedback from the students was just incredible. It felt like I was making a massive impact, which, yeah. which was just everything to me. So, yeah, it, it was amazing. And then a year, was it a year into the job, just after, just over a year into the job, the university started to go through a restructure and we got told we we were separate we weren't going to get pulled into it but all our colleagues around us were getting you know pulled into this restructure and all the way along we were saying you know well where are we going to sit in this new structure it's okay you'll be fine you'll be fine yeah and then last minute we got pulled into it yeah and we got pulled into it after everyone else had so there wasn't the jobs to go for the other people had had opportunities Mm. And we basically got told you've got a week to decide whether you want to go for these other jobs that are still available or whether you take redundancy. Yeah. So I decided to take redundancy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a, which now I think of 
of course it was the right decision to make but at the yeah. time was a really scary decision to make because I'd been at the university for like 11 years then and mm. you know I'd built up quite a reputation I'd you know I'd done lots of different things I was walking away from a career you know I had all these voices in my head like you've got to be sensible you've got a mortgage what are you doing your identity yeah yeah all of that all of yeah. that was tied up in it yeah um but my we were we were getting married that year and we thought the options actually because I'd I'd get some money from the redundancy yeah is that we could take my husband would leave his job and we could go off traveling right so that was the plan so I took redundancy I walked away from my career my husband walked away from his career we rented out our flats which even that was just yeah just just seemed like a huge huge thing to be doing yeah. and we packed up our bags after we got married and we went off traveling for nine months oh amazing yeah That's incredible <laughs> yeah yeah incredible where did you go so we spent six months traveling around india traveling and doing some volunteering around India and then yeah. went over to Thailand and Laos and Vietnam and then back to Thailand and then back to the UK. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that must have been time. a real experience. India it was especially. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We loved India. We'd been, we'd been two years before and that's where my husband had proposed. Oh, and right. we'd spent we'd spent three weeks in India, absolutely fell in love with it, wanted to go back and spend more time. Yeah. And we had this um, volunteering project that we could work with. So we wanted to spend time. And my sister-in-law and her husband were also in India at the time. So we could meet up with them. And then oh, wow. yeah, it was just it was just amazing, absolutely incredible. And I, yeah, I tell everyone and anyone, go traveling, just do it pack up and go <laughs> yeah absolutely when you can yeah do it <laughs> oh that's and did you have to give notice to your tenants or how did you do that you know you didn't know when you were coming back did you well we thought that we'd be gone it we thought we'd probably be gone 10 months that's what we right. planned but it was a, a friend's well a colleague that worked at the university who took the flat okay and he was brilliant he was really flexible because in the end we had to cut our our trip short a little bit because my husband had problems with his back so we ended up cutting it short by about a month and a half and we came back and moved in with my mother-in-law up in the northeast and we yeah we stayed with her for a bit and then stayed with some friends for a little bit we were nomads for for a couple of months (laughs) and then the the person renting moved out and we moved back in Okay. Fabulous. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So both of you now, lovely to go on traveling and experience yeah. all that. Both of you are unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> back in the flat. Yeah. <laughs> having to pay the mortgage. Yeah. Quick, back to banking, Danny? No, no, no I didn't go back to no, I didn't go back to banking. I went back to the university. So I got I got a job at the Students' Union at Sheffield Hallam. 
So I got a job there. My husband basically walked back into his his role that he had wow. before the the company uh, gave him his job back. So yeah, he he was he was luckier than me. I had to apply for a lot of jobs before I got my uh, my job at the university. But he uh, he stepped back into the old company, which mm. was which was good. Yeah. So I was back working at the students' union. So at the, at the university that I knew, but the students' union was a totally different way of working. Yeah. It, it felt very different to me, but I still had that, that experience of working with students. So that was really good. I was working on a fixed-term contract, maternity cover for someone. So I did that for a year. Yeah. And then I left there and went to the other university in Sheffield and did another year contract there. Yeah. But had to leave that early because I was pregnant <laughs> and expecting our first child. So, yeah. Great. Okay. Well, that was a valid reason to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. So then it's maternity leave, um, going through change with having to look after somebody to be responsible for someone. And then what happened next after all that? So I took quite a long break after having my little boy. I So we went through IVF to have my son. So we went from thinking we might not ever be parents, we might not ever be able to have a child to being successful and, and having my beautiful little boy and had the most incredible pregnancy, loved being pregnant even had a really good birth, which I have to whisper because I know that's that's not that's not everyone's uh, no. experience. Very grateful. It was it was incredible. And then after I had my little boy, my mental health really deteriorated, and I really struggled with what I didn't know at the time, but later, really late, got diagnosed with postnatal depression and anxiety. Yeah. And yeah, hit a really, really tough time. My husband was working away. So he would leave the house on a Monday morning at like three, four o'clock in the morning. And he'd come back on Wednesday or Thursday. And we didn't have any family. My parents lived in France. My yeah. my mother-in-law was in the Northeast. And I was just, I just felt really isolated. Yeah. And compounded by really severe lack of sleep. And a child who had reflux, so would struggle to settle. Yeah. It yeah, it was it got really bad. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And when you say it was later diagnosed, so how long were you suffering without knowing what was going on for you? It was about 18 months. Wow. When I got diagnosed, yeah. I had I had a health visitor that was around it was around my son's first birthday and came to visit. And I just I just remember saying to her, when does it get better? When mm. when when am I gonna be able to sleep? Like when when am I gonna feel normal again? Mm. And they have a list of questions that they have to ask you, like a tick sheet to see if there's any concerns there. And she went through this list and she said, I think you might have postnatal depression. 
And she said, I'm going to, I'm going to refer you back to the doctors. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then she left and I got a new health visitor. And when they came to visit, I'm guessing those notes just disappeared because they, they came and they said, the baby's fine. You're fine. Everything's fine. And I, I really struggled with asking for help. I really struggled with with being able to reach out, with being able to accept that that I was finding it hard. So I, I just I was just quiet. I just didn't say anything, and I just mm. left it. Which I now know that wasn't the right thing to do. But at the time, yeah. I was just in such a, a bad place that I just didn't know. I just didn't know the way out of it. And I carried on. So that was the that was just after. Isaac's first birthday and I carried on carried on really struggling find it really hard was having panic attacks just in a really really bad place and then after one particular bad day it was it was as if it was just the straw that broke the camel's back and I just remember breaking down and just I went to the doctors and I just got to the reception at the doctors with my little boy and just said I'm not leaving here until someone helps me Mm. and I just thought something needs to change something needs to change either I'm not you know something needs to change for me otherwise I might not be here and this you know I might not be here with my family yeah so so yeah so I sat there and the doctor the doctor knew a little bit about things that were going on and they put me on tablets and they got me referred to go and see someone and that's when I got diagnosed with postnatal depression and anxiety yeah wow yeah and it's you know I mean it's normal isn't it I mean when I say it's normal these things happen regularly to millions of women around the world and yet the system (laughs) isn't there by the sounds of it properly yet to support it or to, you know, support it properly. And I think mental health, there is a lot of stigma still, I believe, around mental health. Mm. And we all have, you know, issues with our mental health through our lives. I mean, that's part of being human. We only focus on the physical parts of health, not so much of what happens in the mind. And it's such a shame because... If we focus more on the mental side, the physical side would take care of itself as well. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm really sorry you went through all that suffering. And it's really sad to hear that you had to suffer for that long. But I'm also delighted that you, your intuition did kick in again and that you were able to, you know, confront it. So well done to you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel really grateful. That, that I'm here, that I'm, you know, that I am okay. Because for a long time, when all of that was happening, I just thought, well, I'm feeling like this because I'm not supposed to be a mum. I'm finding this really hard because because I'm not good enough. Yes. You know, a load of stories that came up from stories that I had as, you know, growing up and yeah. all of that came to the forefront. And... You know, I realise now I was finding it hard because it was hard. 
Yeah. You know, not because I wasn't good enough, not because I wasn't supposed to be a mum. I was finding it hard because it was really hard and anyone would find it hard. There is a massive, there is a lot of research about what lack of sleep does to us Mm. in terms of our perception of what is real and what isn't real. And when you're in that constant fog of not having had enough sleep and, you know, being awake in unsociable hours, not getting that full rest that your body and your brain needs to recharge and, you know, um, yeah, basically, what do they say? It's, it's, you know, there's a reason why we have to, our physical body has to sleep because it has to detoxify, has to detoxify physically in your body, but also your brain mentally detoxifies as well. And when that can't happen, you make all sorts of rubbish up in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't real. And that's, that's just the physiological effect of what happens of lack of sleep, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember saying to my brother, he's like, I've just got to evolve, you know, like like he said, I've just got to evolve and adapt so I don't need sleep. You know, that's what I was thinking. I've just oh, got to adapt to this. Wow. Because that's that's all I thought that that was the only thing I thought I could do because I thought mm. there's no way out of this. I, I, I thought I'm never going to sleep again. I just need to evolve and adapt to it. My body just needs to adapt to, you know, to so that I can survive and not get in sleep. I mean, I was waking up every hour. That's what my son was doing. He was waking up every hour. And he would sleep in the daytime, but he would only ever sleep. He'd sleep in the pushchair, or he'd sleep when he was in the sling on me, or he'd sleep in the car. I remember I remember one of the helpers just saying to me, why don't you just sleep when they sleep? And I said, okay, is that while I'm driving the car or pushing the pushchair? I said, what do you mean? I said, that's the only time he's sleeping. You know, how can I do that? Mm. I know. Yeah, nothing was picked up. You know, that was a different health visitor and nothing was picked up then. And yeah, I've got to take responsibility because I, I should have asked for help. But I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on with me. I'd, no. I'd had depression when I was younger, when I was, when I was, in my teens into um university time but this was totally different this Mm. was this was an excess of energy it was like I can't sit still it was it was it was manic I suppose was like the best way to describe it yeah so did the pills work help you what helped in the end they did they did help and I went to see a counsellor the first session that I went to see her and I said I explained my situation and I said but it's not because I'm not sleeping (laughs) I I still had in my head that everything was because of me or something I was doing wrong and then about six months into us working together and I was sleeping a bit more and she said do you still think it's nothing to do with sleep and I said yeah the sleep is helping um so yeah, it it was a mixture of the tablets helped, getting some sleep helped, working yeah. with a counsellor and working through, you know, a lot of quite deep rooted stuff that I had that came up during that time. 
but the big shift came for me then when I started working with a life coach yeah because I realized then that I wasn't broken that I didn't Mm. need fixing my perception of myself and therefore the world around me was really skewed yeah and that's what working with a life coach helps me to see that actually I, when I changed that and when I changed my belief about myself and so therefore the belief of my outside world, I could change the way that I was seeing things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember this famous quote from Wayne Dyer and that was, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful one. It gives me goosebumps, that quote, because that just, yeah, yeah it's a beautiful one, Michael, because that just epitomizes for me what, what coaching is, but also my my journey. For so long, I was going down that rabbit hole of negativity, self-doubt, lack yeah. of self-belief. I'm rubbish, I'm broken, I'm not enough. Yeah. And when I changed that way of looking at that, it was like, every, you know, I awakened. And the thing is, it's, and, and, and thank you for sharing this story. And, you know, I hope people that are listening to this will, you know, reflect on it themselves because every human being walking on the planet will go through this at some point through their lives. You know, that's part of, that's part of being human. It's part of our suffering journey. Um, We do have to experience it in order to realize, you know, that we are good enough. Um, All of us are, all of us are. Yeah, always. And yeah, I suppose just carrying on from that, that if there is anyone listening And if I could go back and tell myself this as well, I would. But just ask for help. You know, it's it's not a weakness. There's no shame in it. There's no guilt in it. Just ask for help. We're not supposed to do this all on our own. No. You know, we're we're humans, we're supposed to, we're social beings, like we're supposed to have that connection. Mm. And when I reached out and got the help that I needed, everything changed. Brilliant. Everything changed. So, yeah, I just recommend anyone who's listening, whatever you've got going on, just reach out for that help. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. So after the experience of life coaching then, that inspired you to do something different? Yeah, well, not quite, not quite then. Um, right. I would love to say that it was a quick switch and, you know, everything changed, but it wasn't. It was a long journey, I suppose, to get to where I am now. So mm. I started working with a life coach. I then got uh, another job and I was working at the Students' Union still, but doing a, a different job. And that was around personal development with students. And I started doing some coaching aspects of that, which I really right. enjoyed. And alongside that, I'd started on my own personal development. I've been doing some group programs. I started doing um, some meditation programs. I'd started to, I suppose, like work on my own toolkit a bit more. Yeah. And alongside that, my my job was kind of aligning to that personal development as well, which, I, you know, was bringing me back into that student facing, helping students, which I just, I just loved. And then the pandemic hit. 
Ah. <laughs> yes. Um, which, yeah, I suppose just led a lot of us to to go really inward and to look at what we're doing and to assess yeah. what we're doing. And my mental health took a dip again, working from home, homeschooling, juggling all of that at once. Mm. Mm. I started to really struggle again. And um, yeah, I, uh, long story short, a friend had put me in touch with someone who was doing this challenge uh, about um, how to live in flow, how to come back to yourself, to be grounded and to um, live life in flow. And I started following her and she talked about becoming a life coach. And again, my intuition kicked in and those synchronicities. And I just thought I need to contact this woman and find out who she trained with. And I contacted her, fell in love with her story, what she was talking about. And I I trained to become a life coach off the back of that. So mid-pandemic, mid-homeschooling and doing my job. I thought this is this is what I need. This is what's going to light me up, and it did. It just absolutely, yeah. It's when I discovered Wayne Dyer. It's when, yeah, it's when I discovered so much about myself, and I trained to be able to share that with others. Oh, that's brilliant! That's brilliant. Yeah. And I read on your website you specialize. Do you specialize in certain things? Because meditation is a big part of what you do as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I qualified as a meditation teacher last year as well to do that alongside my coaching. Right. Because that was a massive game changer for me. I always yeah. thought I've got a really anxious mind. I can't meditate and no. uh, until I could. And then I realized that that was an excuse that I was telling myself. So I bring that into my practice. So I do the meditation and coaching together but also the meditation on its own. But my my big focus is around self-love and self-worth. Yes. So I realized that when my life started to change was when I started to love myself. When I started to love myself, when I started to believe in myself, when I started to realize that I was worthy of having that life that I wanted to have. Yeah. And then I could start creating it. Oh, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Thank I love you. that. That's awesome. Well done, you. Big thank virtual you. high five, uh, <laughs> double high five. You. That's just amazing to hear that. Um, thank you. Well done, so I feel you. I feel so lucky because and so many people and yeah, you know, I had a tough time at the beginning of the pandemic as well with juggling everything. But I know people had such a tough time. Yeah, you know, when all of that was going on. But for me that was like my period of like awakening. That was when I discovered my passion and what I now know is my purpose is going out and doing this. So yeah, I feel so grateful. And are you, and are you working with, you know, particular group of people, audience that you would like to attract? Yeah, I tend to work with women, more women, although I am working with two men at the moment, two male clients. I tend to work with women because that's my known experience. Yeah. I, I find that that they're more drawn to me, I suppose. We attract, yes. don't we, um, that mirror image. Yeah. Um, and I guess I also, I know that I, I'm, I'm not uh, discounting men, but I know from my no. own experience that working with women, 
if I can get that message across around self-love and self-worth, you know, we, we nurture and we share. And when we nurture and share that message that we find yeah. in ourselves, we share that with our families, with our children, with our colleagues, with our friends. And it's that beautiful ripple effect. You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to help thousands of women who can then go out and help thousands more. Yeah, brilliant. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, men also need self-love. Yeah, 100%. Um, there's lots of men. Well, we know, you know, the rate of suicides in young men is very high yeah. and in this country. And, but I just watched recently, came out on BBC Three, the Instagram effect. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend you watching it for your education. Mm-hmm and awareness for young women. And they were all young women portrayed in their mental health and, you know, what Instagram did for them. Now, there Mm. might have always been underlying stuff going on, but Instagram really helped it to get worse, if you know what I mean. Mm. And um, it's, it's a fascinating bit of research. I mean, I researched it because I have this particular anti, as they're now called, meta, and what they're doing to the world. You know, talking about dictatorships in the world, they're a massive dictator, unfortunately, in the way that we operate. But that's a whole other story for another day, Danny. (laughs) Uh, I know you've got to rush in a few minutes. Please share with the listeners how they can get hold of you if they want coaching, meditation, or anything else that you're doing, and how they can connect with you. Thank you. So you can find me on, on Instagram. So I'm Danielle Louise Coaching on Instagram. That's also how you can find me uh, for my website. I'm also on LinkedIn as Danielle Thompson Walker. So yeah, I just love people to be able to reach out. I think I find sometimes that that people, when we talk about self-love, it's, oh, that's a bit fluffy, you know, oh, I don't really need that. But it's the essence, it's the building blocks for everything. Because if we don't believe in ourselves, if we don't love ourselves, then we're not going to go out and get the opportunities that we want. We're not going to yeah. look at a job and think, oh, I could go for that. We're not going to give ourselves the rest and the, the the space that we need to, you know, to, to care for ourselves. We're going to burn out. We're going to be overstretched. We're going to not going to have boundaries in place unless we start loving ourselves and yeah. knowing that we are worthy of that. And when we start with that and we get those building blocks, right. Life just gets so much brighter, so much yeah. brighter. And I know yeah. because I've lived it. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? Having gone through the journey that you went through, having come out the other end and realised all of that, you would never have been able to support other people going through the same if you hadn't done it yourself and had the experience. Yeah. You know, being able to have that empathy and understanding in the yeah. first place is so important to be able to coach people. I mean... I, you know, in terms of coaching, it depends what type of coaching you do, but if it's non-directive, people do it themselves 
you're just there to guide them with the right questions. But yeah. Even so, having that empathy and knowledge is is massively important. So uh, yeah, I'm so glad you've got to this place where you're now sharing, you know, that message with other people. And uh, yeah, I hope you get lots of inquiries on the back of this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for today, Michael. I've loved that. My pleasure. I really thank you so much for being so open and authentic and sharing your story. Um, I hope it will really help lots of women out there. Thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for supporting me through my first podcast. Thank you for being on my podcast for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, that's really awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'll catch up with you soon. Take care for now. Thanks, Michael. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe and share at will. I'm always looking for more listeners and guests, so do get in touch, please. You can find me pretty easily by searching for Staying Alive UK. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.